Well, good morning, everybody, or possibly good evening if you're watching this on Saturday night. Um, you are probably in your home or in a home of a friend, and I'm obviously here at the church. I've invited all my best friends to be with me for this, which means I'm looking at a mostly empty worship center except for my wife who's here with me uh, this this afternoon. I'm actually taping this on Friday afternoon, so we're obviously in the midst of um, this time of um, wondering what the future is going to be like, and obviously not in a super significant way, but this is the first time, at least from a little bit of research I've done, that the United States is, uh, that the government has asked churches to actually shut down, um, at least nationwide, uh, since the Spanish flu pandemic of 1917, 1918, I think it was 1918 when they actually asked the churches to, to, to close their doors, uh, primarily in the major cities, but um, so here we are. We're in the midst of a time when, when uh, our government has asked us to, uh, uh, to help in the spread of this uh, um, pandemic to close our churches. And so that's what we've done in obedience to them and obedience to the Lord. And um, so really all I want to do here today is just take a little bit of time and walk through uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And we'll bounce around just a little bit. Um, even before we decided that we had to shut down, um, cancel services for this weekend and possibly, you know, for future weekends as well, I really felt like at a time like this, it's probably best that we take a break from the Genesis study and consider um, looking at a text that would just help us maybe bring some light to, to what's taking on, uh, taking place here right now. I thought Philippians 4 was a good place to turn. It's not a passage about pandemics or plagues necessarily, but it is one I think that helps us to remind, to remember um, who's in charge, what God has called us uh, to to do, and, and what kind of people we're called to be. And so I want to take a take a, a walk through this. You uh, hopefully have your Bibles with you. You can open them up and and uh, and follow along uh, very easily. I think so. <clears throat> Philippians chapter four. Verses 4 through 9, and uh, just as we would typically do, let me just pray. Ask the Lord's uh, uh, blessing and presence upon the the proclamation of His Word, or the teaching of His Word in this case. So, Lord, meet us in this time. Meet us as I walk through this text. Uh, Be with those who are in their homes, or homes of friends, or listening in their car, uh, whatever the case might be right now. And uh, our hope, Lord God, is in You. Our trust is in You and in Your Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, at this time, we pray, uh, Lord, even in these unusual circumstances that you might meet us in your word and and teach us. And as we gather together in homes uh, this weekend and possibly for for multiple weekends, we do want to pray, God, that you would be with us as families and as individuals, as friends, uh, Lord, that we might um, enjoy in some sense a Sabbath rest um, from uh, particularly those who have families trying to get up and 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 uh, get kids ready and, and heading to the to the to the church and so many who serve and volunteer in so many different ways. Um, so, uh, Lord, as we experience this rest, we pray that you would you would be with us and be with us as families and again as individuals. Lord, teach us, Lord, even as we uh, are in your Word, uh, Lord. I hope and trust daily uh, during this time. So meet us now. 
uh, in Philippians chapter 4, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. And so as we read through that, I suspect you pick up on a few nuances. The peace of God, the God of peace, how Paul will... Uh, juxtapose those two phrases there in this, obviously this idea of rejoicing. And this is a fairly common thing uh, for Paul to be speaking about in his letter uh, to, uh, to the church in, in Philippi. So maybe just real briefly, a quick walk contextually of where, where we're at. Philippians 1, Paul is writing along with Timothy, they're servants of Christ Jesus. They're writing to all the saints, all those who are set apart in God, in Christ, in the city of Philippi. Along with the overseers or the elders and the deacons that are, that are there. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Very, very common opening for Paul in his letters. Moves through a time of thanksgiving, through a time of a prayer. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Jesus Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. If you've been reading some of my Jim Shorts articles over the last actually couple of years, this has been the prayer that I have kind of incorporated um, for you, for the church body, for myself, obviously, and my family, but for you, at LifePoint Church, this has been my prayer um, almost on a daily basis uh, that, that our love would abound more and more, that we would have more knowledge, more understanding of who Christ is, more understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that we would have discernment in our lives, that we would be a people uh, who, who are trusting in Christ, that we would be a people who are filled with the fruit of righteousness. Um, you know, all that's good, all that's juicy, all that's delectable in Jesus Christ, um, and that these things would help us to discern what is best, that we would know what is best in our lives. And that all of this, of course, is for the glory and praise of God. That's the theme of Scripture, for the glory and the praise of God. Paul talks about advancing the gospel. Paul then goes into this idea of how to live is Christ and to die is gain for him. As long as he's living in the flesh, he's going to live for Jesus Christ. And he knows he's going to die someday, or at least... I think Paul suspects he's going to die someday because I, I think Paul, if we read some of his other letters, we get the idea that Paul also is very, very hopeful for the return of Christ in his own life where he will not be found naked, he says, where he will not be disembodied and spend that time uh, that he is spending now uh, with Christ in glory, in paradise, but awaiting the resurrection of his body. Paul understood uh, the reality of that, that he wouldn't be quite all Paul because he would be separated from his body, and we, we, we are our body and soul, and uh, that makes us whole. And so Paul, although uh, gloriously uh, fulfilled and, I suspect, 
uh, and, and trust biblically, rejoicing in Christ and glory, still waiting for the resurrection of his body. But he believed that to die was to be a gain for him, as we should believe as well. And so he walks through that concept, telling us, let our manner of life be worthy of our calling in Jesus Christ. So he wants the Philippians to live in such a way that it demonstrates that they genuinely know Jesus Christ, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So moving on, encouraging them, um, um, challenging them, live for Christ, act like one who knows Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, then he says, this is the example of Christ himself in us. Um, And this is the example of Christ in his incarnation as well. He who emptied himself and not by that getting rid of divinity, but by taking on humanity and and humbling himself, putting on flesh, um, tabernacling, uh, John would say, uh, with us, living with us in our wilderness, being with us as God was with the, the people of Israel in the wilderness. Christ is now with us in our wilderness, and he is humbled himself and, and made himself obedient to God, and uh, even obedient uh, to death, even a death on a cross that, that, uh, that Christ has been willing uh, to do. Paul says, in light of this, live as lights in the world, live as those who, again, demonstrate who Jesus Christ is. He then speaks about Timothy and Epaphroditus, uh, these two brothers of his um, that he loves and that have been uh, faithful partners to him in ministry. Then in chapter 3, he'll pick up this theme of rejoicing. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord, he says. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. It's a safeguard for you. Or in other words, I'll keep writing the same stuff to you again because it's stuff you need to hear. It's stuff you need to know. I want you to know Jesus, and if I have to keep pressing it uh, home to you, I'll keep doing that. Uh, It's no problem for me. Uh, Paul has no problem writing or dictating letters or preaching, uh, just like it's no problem for me to come up here on a Sunday morning and proclaim the gospel and to say things over and over and over again. That may be a problem for you. You may say, heard that story before, but certainly not a problem for me to reiterate uh, the riches of Christ, the glory of God, what it means to be a follower of Christ. And he says, brothers and sisters, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. I want you to be those who are joyful. Now he's going to spin out of that and say, I also want you to be uh, wary of those people, these, these mutilators of the flesh, these dogs. And then this incredibly beautiful and famous passage of Paul in chapter 3 where he says um, you know, that I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and the glory of, of sharing in the suffering, um, how he has gotten rid of everything in his life. He, he had these things as a Pharisee. As, as one who is a Hebrew of Hebrews, born into the, into the tribe of, of Benjamin, uh, a Pharisee, uh, as for his zeal, a persecutor of the church, as for his legalistic righteousness, he says, faultless. I was a man of God. I was a Pharisee, and yet I'll give it all up for Christ. I'll count it as rubbish. I want Christ. I want to gain Christ. I want to know Christ. Then he says, it's not that I already know this. I'm not saying I've achieved it. Now come up to where I'm at. He's saying, I'm still striving ahead. I'm looking ahead. I'm putting behind me everything and moving towards Christ and trusting in Christ. And he's going to strain for that goal, he says there in chapter 3. And uh, again, reminding everybody, this is not something I feel like I have. This is something I'm moving for. Now you move with me into this. Reject all the things that you think are valuable and take on Christ and the glory of Christ and the glory of, of, um, 
the resurrection of the body as Christ has experienced the resurrection of the body. This is what Paul wants. He wants to die in Christ so that he can live in Christ as well. And so Paul moves then into what we would call chapter 4 and kind of ends his thought in chapter 3 with chapter 4, one of those kind of weird beginnings of a chapter. Therefore, my brothers and sisters here, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved, are those that I really deeply, I deeply love. Take all these things that I've said, put them all together, and know that I love you and I long for you. And um, um, I want you to know that uh, this is the way that we stand firm in the Lord, by believing and trusting in these things. Now, as we go into, into chapter 4, he's going to speak directly to Euodia and Sintichi. These are two women who have, who have striven with Paul in the gospel proclamation, and uh, they're having some disagreements there in Philippi. And so he's going to say to the entire congregation, because this is a letter to the church, I'm naming out two women. I want you, brothers and sisters in the body, come alongside these two sisters. They're, they're disagreeing on something. Paul has somehow gotten word about that, um, probably through, uh, through the uh, Epaphroditus. And he is imploring them to, to unity and to love and to, to offer forgiveness uh, to one another. Now our text. He's going to go right back to this idea of rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Not sometimes, not most of the time, not when things are going great, not in prosperity. Certainly we're going to rejoice in the Lord in those times, but we're going to rejoice in the Lord always in times of adversity, in times of pandemics, in times of, of difficulty. We want to rejoice in the Lord and we want to do it always. And so he's going to reiterate it. Again, I'm going to say this to you. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Um, back in the night, late 1970s, early 80s, I, uh, uh, when I came to know the Lord and was at a, a, a Bible study with people, we would, we would sing um, really what what's amounts to some pretty silly songs now. Although, um, lyrically, not necessarily silly. They, met, they, were, they were good songs, but but one of them was this song that just kept re- repeating, Rejoice in the Lord always, again I'll say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, again I'll say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. Over and over and over again. There's a bit of a silliness to it. At the same time, it really captures what Paul's saying here. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. I want you to know this. I want you to hear this idea. Let your reasonableness be known to everybody here. What do you think he means by reasonableness? What is, what is the reasonableness that he's talking about? He says, I want, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to remind you again. I'm going to say rejoice. Remember, it's not a problem for Paul to write these things again. And so he says, I want you to rejoice. And I want you to be reasonable. And I want everyone to see that reasonableness in your life. That word really means, um, I mean, it really means reasonableness, right? That's why we translate it that way. But it can also be translated gentle spirit. Let your gentleness be known to everybody. Or in other words, friends, rejoice. Be happy in Christ. Be happy in God. But be gentle about it. Uh, let people see that you that, that there's a, a peace in you, which he's going to talk about. Let people see that, that your hope is leading to, to not a harsh spirit, but, uh, but to a gentle attitude. Goodness, we can demonstrate this in so many ways, but particularly in our homes. Gentleness uh, to our children, gentleness to our spouse, gentleness with 
people who may be living with us, sharing our home for a while. Maybe in-laws, our, 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 our children who have moved back, back into our home. Whatever the case might be, a gentleness, a quiet spirit, a willingness to, to be at peace with the people around you. Paul says, I want you to rejoice. I want you to be happy. And then I want people to see that you're gentleness. I want the people to see you're a reasonable human being. Um, this should mark us as followers of Jesus Christ, a gentleness and a reasonableness. Um, and, and he says, I want everyone to see that. Not just, not just uh, you. I don't want just to, to, to speak to yourself in the mirror about how, how uh, delightful and pleasant you are, but I want people to see this. I want everyone who comes into contact with you to see that you are joyful, that you are rejoicing, and that uh, you, you uh, have a gentle spirit about you. He says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. And indeed he is, right? The Lord is at hand. The Lord has been at hand since the time, since the time of Christ. Right? The scriptures have made that clear to us. The New Testament makes us clear to this. Christ, uh, Jesus himself, made it clear to us. The New Testament makes it clear to us that the end times began with the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The end times end with the consummation of all things, with the glorious return of Jesus Christ. We're living in these times uh, right now. In our, uh, in our life group, we're going through 2 uh, Timothy. And in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, uh, let me get there real quick. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul kind of uh, uh, indirectly uh, says this in, in chapter 3, he says to Timothy, but understand this, that in these last days there will come times of difficulty. So Paul says, in these last days, Paul's writing uh, to Timothy probably in the early 60s AD. He says, we're in these last days. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Um, 19 different things, if I remember right, that Paul walks through there. You can count these at home and you may find that I'm wrong, but I think it's 19 different things that Paul says there. And then he says, avoid such people. Um, You can avoid them now because even though he says in these last days, we don't have to say, well, at the end, people are going to be like that. People are like that right now. They were like that in Paul's day. People are like that today. Sometimes we're like that. My guess is we couldn't look through that list and say, well, that's never me. That's us sometimes. Paul, uh, to the Philippians and say, being gentle. To, to, second, to, to Timothy, uh, he says, um, this is going to mark people. Uh, in these days, in these last days. So Paul says, the Lord is at hand. Now, after saying all that, I would say this. Um, I think Paul is saying, um, we are in this day. However, I do think Paul here also is indicating we are looking for the glorious return of Christ. We may be in these last days, but there will come a day when Christ is, re- is, is returning, and we're looking to that. We're rejoicing in that. We're living the way we're living now, with reasonable, uh, reasonableness and, and sensitivity and a gentle spirit because the Lord is at hand. He is coming back. He is going to dwell with us again bodily. And so he says, do not be anxious about anything. Well, why wouldn't we be anxious about anything? It's because the Lord's coming back. We won't, we won't be anxious because we know Jesus is coming back. Jesus wins the day. 
Uh, Jesus will have a glorious return. We'll experience that if we're still alive. We will experience that uh, in a unique way if we've gone to be with the Lord uh, in spirit uh, prior to that because uh, we are going to experience a glorious resurrection, the, the resurrection of, of our bodies. Paul says in Romans 8, this is our hope, right? In this hope we were saved. What is he speaking about in Romans 8? He's talking about the resurrection of our bodies. He says, in that hope we um, have been saved. Uh, but hope that is seen is no hope at all, right? Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we'll wait for it patiently, he says in Romans 8. So we're waiting patiently for the Lord's return. We're not going to be anxious about anything. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. We're going to rejoice. We're going to be gentle in spirit. We're going to act like Christians. We're going, to, we're going to live in such a way that it reflects Jesus Christ in our life. This is Paul's hope for the Philippians. This is Paul's hope for the church of Jesus Christ. This, by the work of the Holy Spirit, is God's hope for us as well. Wherever you're sitting today, as I'm sitting right here, it's God's hope for us that we would rejoice, that we would be um, those who demonstrate what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that we would recognize and hope for and anticipate the glorious return of Jesus Christ. This is why we are not going to be anxious about anything. But in everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we're going to let our request be made known to God. We're going to come before God. We're going to we're going to pray. Uh, we're going to uh, supplicate. We're going to bring supplications. Uh, those words are probably in some ways interchangeable. Different words, obviously, in the Greek and in English, but probably interchangeable in some ways. Some would say that the prayer part is more of, a, of an exaltation, a prayer to a holy God, kind of hands up, praying to God, worshiping God. Supplication has more to do with bringing our requests before God, uh, letting God know what our desire, the desires of our heart are. And then on top of that, being uh, thankful, having, having a, a, an attitude of thankfulness to God and rejoicing in that. So in everything, in every circumstance, uh, when things are going well, when things are not going well, uh, again, this is not news, I suspect, to any of you, uh, that God has said, um, uh, I want you to pray. I'm, I'm, I'm listening, I'm hearing, I'm responding uh, to your prayers. Uh, remember, um, that God knows our prayers before we, even, before we even ask Him. And yet He says, pray. Nevertheless, there's a huge mystery there. Don't have time to go into that today. But uh, it, is, it, is, uh, it is a command. It is a call. Um, it is, a, it is a, um, a privilege that God gives us that we would come before Him in prayer, in supplication, in thanksgiving. He's calling us uh, to do these things. Even though he knows what we need, even though he knows our prayers, even though when we pray and worship and, and exalt his name, we're not telling him, as Pastor David says oftentimes from, the, uh, from uh, uh, the piano here, God doesn't need us to tell him who he is, but he still tells us uh, to tell him who he is, if I said that right. Uh, it's not because he needs to hear it, it's because we need to hear it. It's because it's the right thing to do when you have a glorious God and we are creatures created in His image, it's just simply the right thing to do that we would rejoice and be thankful and bring our prayers and supplications before this, uh, before this God. Remember again, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, you know, uh, but before that, that prayer is even on your lips, God knows that prayer. Uh, John chapter 1, Nathaniel, remember, um, 
Philip comes to Nathaniel and says, hey, come and see the Messiah, Jesus of, of Nazareth. And, and Nathaniel says, Nazareth, what, what good comes from Nazareth, right? And Philip says, come on, come and see. So they go and they find Jesus. And before Nathaniel even opens his mouth, Jesus says, here comes an Israelite, a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. And Nathaniel says, how did you know me? How do you know who I am? And Jesus says, because I saw you sitting underneath the fig tree before Philip even called you. And Nathaniel says, you're the God of Israel, right? You're the king. And Jesus says, if you think that's amazing, you're going to see some more amazing things than that, Nathaniel. Um, God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is, is everywhere at all times. He knows these things, and yet he says, come, pray. Bring your supplications. Bring your requests before me. Be thankful as you come into my presence with rejoicing and with praise. Make these things known to me, not because I don't always know, already know them, but you need to hear yourself saying these things to me and uh, spending time in prayer with me. And the peace of God, he says, which surpasses all understanding is going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so, friends, we're going to know the peace of God if we, if we live out this type of life. Um, the, the antidote to anxiety is a life deeply entrenched in God. It is a life deeply entrenched in Jesus Christ. That's the antidote to anxiety. The deeper we go into God, into Christ, friends, I am convinced the less and less we worry about this world, the less and less we're concerned about, um, about this world. A.W. Tozer, I don't have, I don't, the quote isn't going to be exact, but he says, um, when a person comes to trust in Christ, to lay themselves before Christ, um, at that time, 10,000 temporal problems are solved at once. Uh, there's just something about knowing Christ. He doesn't say you'll never have any problems again, but I think he's right. 10,000 things over our lives, just, they just become fluff. They just, they're, they're water off a duck's back. We just move on. They, they peel away from our lives when we are deeply entrenched in a relationship. That's the antidote to anxiety, and the peace of God comes with that. And that, that peace surpasses all understanding. It's going to guard our hearts and our minds. It's going to guard everything about our emotions. It's going to guard all the things cognitively in our noggins that, that we know. God's going to guard these things. Christ is going to guard these things in our hearts uh, in our minds. And so the promise here is that if we're going to live in this manner, um, if we're going to have misplaced trust, we're going to have fear and anxiety. If we're going to place our trust in anything else, we're going to have fear and anxiety. Uh, I mean, again, just look at the stock market in the, in the last two weeks. I mean, um, if you put your hope there, you're, you're, you're in a lot of anxiety most likely right now, unless you're just a really, really good, good investor. There's a misplaced trust, and that misplaced trust is going to lead to fear and anxiety. But it will give way to, to, um, to peace if it gives way to faith in God. And that faith in God, at least in context here, is marked by prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. And we're going we're gonna to know not only peace, he says, but look what kind of peace. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. This is a supernatural peace. I think Paul's saying here, if you know Christ in this way, 
If you are deeply entrenched in Him, if you are coming before Him with prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, you are going to know a supernatural life. And here I'm not talking again about prosperity gospel. I'm simply saying that via our supernatural um, regeneration in Christ, what we call being born again, and what Jesus calls being born again, in that we are going to experience a supernatural peace, something that comes from the Holy Spirit, something that comes from the Spirit of Christ, something that we cannot fix, something that we cannot generate ourselves with our misplaced trust in in, uh, in a hundred other uh, things. If it is a proper faith in God, if we are approaching God, we are going to um, have the opportunity for a peace that surpasses the understanding, a supernatural peace, um, different than a worldly peace, obviously. A worldly peace certainly sounds good. We love the word peace, right? Peace, peace out. Uh, in my day and age, at least when I was born, you know, uh, yo, peace, uh, bro, you know, that, that kind of stuff in the, in, the, in the hippie movement and things like that. But that kind of peace is detached from a New Testament content from a New Testament type of peace. And a New Testament type of peace is based on an Old Testament concept of peace. A worldly peace is kind of, you know, marshmallowy. It's kind of soft. It's gooey. It got, it's got this kind of first uh, blast of, of sweetness. But before long, uh, it begins to just lack substance, right? It just begins to melt away. It just doesn't stay with you long. It's like fruit stripe, stripe gum, if any of you remember fruit stripe gum. Man, it's great for about eight seconds, and then it's like, uh, it's like chewing wax. Um, it has a burst, but it, doesn't, it does not stay. But a New Testament piece is based on an Old Testament piece. That term is, I'm sure you know this one most likely anyway, is that Old Testament term, that Hebrew term, shalom. And shalom is a different type of peace. It's rooted in this concept of wholeness, of, of togetherness, of, of, uh, of holistic uh, health, uh, uh, mind and body uh, that, 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 uh, um, that we can experience. And so it's rooted in that. It's a, it's a relational type of word in the Hebrew. It, it, it points upward to God. It points outward to relationships with other people. But it's not just about not being at war. It's about being whole. It's about being complete. And I think that's what Paul is speaking about here. That's the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. That's what's going to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. If we are rooted in Christ, if we are rejoicing in Him, if we are, are, are experiencing life with God uh, through prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Um, Corey Ten Boom, uh, one of my favorite quotes of Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom was the, uh, was the uh, a uh, woman who who lived in the Netherlands uh, back during uh, the third the Third Reich, and uh, she and her family uh, housed uh, many many Jews, uh, saved them through uh, that, that, that underground system, getting them out of the Netherlands and into into safety during the Nazi occupation. And uh, you probably know this story, but she was eventually arrested along with her family, sent to concentration camp. Sister died early on. Later on, another sister dies there in the concentration camp. Uh, Corey, uh, miraculously by God's grace, survives all that, um, spends the rest of her life uh, preaching the gospel and offering forgiveness to uh, to her occupiers and to her captors. And in, and in one beautiful story, I can't remember the, all the details, but preaching one time, not preaching, but, but, but speaking and sharing with people about her experience. And, and a, an old gentleman comes up and, and introduces himself to her, and it's a, a guard 
that was particularly abusive to her. And um, um, she offers him forgiveness right there. And it's just a beautiful and incredible story. She's been uh, passed away now for many, many years. But, but Corey Tenboom said, Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It only empties today of its strength. Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its, uh, 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 of its sorrows, but it's going to empty today of its strength. Um, I just saw a blog, I think yesterday, the day before, where someone quoted that as well. Wonderful, beautiful, uh, true statement uh, about this concept of where we have a misplaced hope. It's going to lead ultimately uh, to a concept of, of worry uh, that will, will, will not solve anything for us ultimately. Then verses 8 and 9, as I bring this to a conclusion, uh, practice these things, he's going to say. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is anything that is excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about the things that matter, friends. Think about the things that are most important. This is how we immerse ourselves in Christ. This is how the Spirit of of God um, envelops us. Not all the time. Obviously, we go through trials and tribulations and struggles in life. Paul doesn't deny that stuff. He's already talked to the Philippians in this letter about how they saw, uh, you can read about in Acts 16, his problems, his troubles, the things he had to deal with in his life. And so he's not saying these things are not real. He's simply saying, think about the glorious things in life. Even in a fallen world, there are beautiful, lovely things, commendable things by which we might concentrate and live and demonstrate through gentleness and peace and, 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 and forgiveness and grace that we extend to people. Paul says, I want you to think about these things. And then what you've learned from me and received and heard in me, practice these things. And now the God of peace will be with you. The God who offers this peace that we talked about, the peace of God, that same God who is the God of peace, he's going to be with you in the midst of these, of these, difficult, uh, these difficult times. It's interesting here, just quickly, that Paul says, you know, what you've seen in, in, in me and, and, and what I've put to practice, do the same thing. But Paul, again, in, in, in Philippians 3, just the chapter before, he's told us, I haven't, I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet. However, I'm on the road, and it's, it's, uh, Paul's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's advanced, and he's simply saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, back in, in chapter 3, verse 17, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example or the pattern that we gave you, uh, because he goes on to say, um, I, I say now, even through tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And so he's saying, follow me, and, I, and I'm following Christ. Set your eyes on the next step and move forward in your faith in Jesus Christ. He's going to reiterate here, not because he's prideful, but because he recognizes that there are brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippi who need an example. And sometimes looking to Christ and saying, well, that's the example. Although it's true and biblical, it's very, very difficult for us to wrap our minds around that. So Paul says, wrap your mind around what I'm doing and, and, and advance beyond that. Come with me as I follow as I follow Christ, as we hold to this pattern that we, uh, Timothy and, my, and myself and, and Epaphroditus and others, we have demonstrated, we've modeled this for you. So, um, so Paul there, uh, Philippians 4, exhorting us, teaching us, encouraging us, challenging us uh, to live in a way that, that really demonstrates that we know Christ and really demonstrates that, that we have been transformed by Christ and promising us the peace uh, of God the peace that, uh, that surpasses, the supernatural peace that, 
that is just, friends, just a natural overflow of this. It's just a natural overflow uh, of this life, even in times like this. And so I, I close with this. Uh, you know, we're living in a media-driven world, um, more so than ever before, and it will probably only continue to, to increase. Um, there really are very few news outlets in the world today, and I'm not, it doesn't matter whether you're watching CNN or Fox or, or whatever, whatever it is, um, you know, NBC, ABC, the others. Um, so much of our news today, friends, is not news, it's opinion uh, um, from both sides of the spectrum. We just need to know that. We're really getting a lot of opinions, and not just about the, the um, coronavirus pandemic, but about, about almost everything. We really are living in a media-driven world today. Uh, Ten years ago, the H1N1 virus ravaged uh, the world, uh, a deadly virus, uh, as, as coronavirus uh, has, has proven to be, uh, not nearly as deadly as, as um, H1N1, but, but still a, a challenge, obviously, for us. Um, I think today, uh, I haven't seen, but I think President Trump declared a, a national emergency about this. But 10 years ago, before we were quite to the point where we are now, social media was around, but we weren't driven like we are now. Um, uh, we, we did not see this panic. We did not see the widespread panic because everybody's able to comment on this now, not just the news media. Uh, 1917 to 18, the Spanish flu killed literally millions and millions of Americans. At one time in October of 2018, thousands of people were dying every single day in America. And over uh, the course of, its, of that pandemic, 50 million people died worldwide. I mean, that's, that's a pandemic. That's a lot of human lives. The black death of the bubonic plague. I mean, remember, it killed one-third of Europe. A third. One of every three people that were walking down the street were dead um, after that pandemic. And that came in multiple waves. In the, uh, in the 14th century and into the 15th century as, as well. Remember in the early church, friends, w- w- this is odd for us. This is weird for me. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to an empty con- uh, building, um, and it, it's odd. Remember in the early church, it is likely, it's, I mean, it is it's for sure, that people would have gathered together to worship, and they would have shown up the next Sunday and said, you know, um, uh, this brother or this sister is, is gone. They were taken off. Uh, they were, they're, they're dead. Um, they're not coming back. And we've we got to rearrange. Maybe they were a leader. Maybe they were taken because they were a leader. Maybe not. But um, uh, it, was, it was a different day. And we're living in some ways in a different way as well. Um, friends, let me, just, let me just say this. We should not be ashamed of, of taking precautions with this pandemic. We should take precautions. Absolutely, we should, particularly people in, in high-risk categories. People will have died and people will die from this. And, and some of our brothers and sisters in Christ right here at LifePoint will, will undoubtedly um, uh, acquire the, the coronavirus. And we'll pray and hope to God that, that they, will, they will, like most people, will, will be able to, to walk away from that. But Christians used to run to the plagues, not away from the plagues. They went to care. This is what they were known for. So um, take precautions. Do what you have to do, obviously. And if you're in a high-risk category, steer clear. And don't be ashamed of that at all. But let's, uh, as, as I said in, in the uh, letter uh, I was speaking on Friday today, um, let, let's act like the church of Jesus Christ. Let's behave like the church of Jesus Christ. Um, God is doing something 
Um, it's a mystery. Most of what, the things that God does is a mystery. But it's for His name. It's for the glory of His name. Um, this will be a time, quite pr- uh, possibly, for the church to shine. Not just LifePoint, but the, for the church of Jesus Christ. Um, God is doing everything, everything for the glory of His name and, and walking out His plan of redemption. So remember, there is no virus that is sovereign. Um, God is the one who is sovereign. There's no government that can solve all of our problems. There is no man or woman, no politician who's going to fix things for us. Only Jesus will do that. Uh, Take some time, read Revelation 5, right? The Apostle John standing there, and there's these seals, and no one's going to break them in this vision of heaven. And he weeps because here's these seals. There's important information in these seals. No one can open them. And and the angel says, don't fear, you know, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know, he can break these seals. And he comes and he breaks these, these seals. He's the only one who's worthy. He's the only one who can break the seals, open the scrolls, and tell us what God has in store. That's where we place our hope. That's where we place our trust. So have a great uh, Sunday or Saturday. God bless you. We will continue to inform you as, uh, as the weeks go by on, uh, on how we're going to continue to do ministry together as best we can. So love you all. Uh, Let me just pray God's blessing upon you as you go into your night or into your day. Father, be a blessing to all of us. Go with us, minister to us, minister through us, I pray. Let your name be be glorious in us. Let let our gentleness, our, our, our soft spirit be known to all, that we might be those who rejoice in you always, rejoice in you always, that we might know the peace of God that transcends all understanding, Lord God, and that we might practice these wonderful and beautiful virtues and words in our lives, uh, that, uh, that you might uh, be, make yourself known to us and that we would make ourselves known uh, to the world as well. Lord, we love you, we worship you, and uh, we uh, pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.